guys. I think we are live. Hello oh, and happy oh. Friday. Oh, oh, oh hello, guys. How are you? I'm good. So we had a little time off. Uh, we took a little bit of last week off for the, or this, was it this week? Last week for 4th of July. Um, after having some great interviews with um, some of the GOP primary candidates, which Sam, thank you so much for setting those up. That was great. Uh, Lee Zeldin has reached out to us since he won, and he wants to come on, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. Lee Zeldin, come on in, baby. Come and, on and, in. I want to talk to you. And we will certainly invite Kathy Hochul as well. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah, maybe, maybe people aren't ready for that in July. Maybe that's more of a September thing, but he's already reached out. Oh, Lee Zeldin, we have things to discuss. <laughs> come on in, buddy. Come on in. Um, that would be great. How was your uh, 4th of July, guys? Uh, Three-day weekend. You know, I love it when it's not in the middle of the week. Uh, so that, yeah. that was great. The weather, you know, Friday was rough, but the rest of the weekend was uh, outstanding. Uh, even when the rain was supposed to come, for the most part, it didn't. Uh, that, that was that was just a great weekend. Yeah, Adam, we, how was We had a great time. We went, visited some friends at Lake Sacandaga, which is just Growing up here, I never went to Lake Sacandaga, and I, I don't know why. It's a it's a fantastic lake. It's much you know in this area, Lake George is the queen, and everybody loves going to Lake George. Yeah. Sacandaga's got some sandy beaches on the islands there. I mean, it's a it's a different lake than Lake George, but it's got some really neat parts to it. So had a great time there, and then just went to went to my father's farm and shot off some fireworks with the kids. Oh well, I was slumming it here downtown, and I can tell you. Not having fireworks or any kind of Fourth of July celebration after the the race in the morning, the Firecracker Four race, is just like so not on brand for Saratoga, and it kind of stunk because I don't know Fourth of July just you you need some fireworks, you know, and I think the Chamber of Commerce really has to rethink their approach towards this, and and work with the community in the city to try to make it happen again for next year because. What? What was the reason for it not this year? I did see something, so, but I haven't verified that that is accurate. I will, I will tell you the the accurate reason, which is um, based on you know my experience in dealing with the chamber from before I took office um, into being in office. Um, you know, Todd Chimkis really feels strongly that the chamber should not have to pay for fireworks. Um, they've historically always paid for them in the past, and so um, he at one point I think about a year or two ago. He, he, he made an effort to put out a fundraising call to the community and have people contribute to the fireworks fund. Um, you know, that effort was not, you know, like a, super compelling. And so he got some donations, but not enough to cover the fireworks. Um, at one point, uh, New Year's Eve was going to be canceled. And then uh, Sonny Bonaccio and Bonaccio and company stepped up and sponsored it at the last minute. So the city had like eight days to put it together and get all the license and everything approved. They did. They scrambled. They got it done. Fireworks went off. Everyone was happy. But since then, I, I just, I just think the chamber again is, it's not willing to pay for fireworks. It's, and they haven't, I guess, been interested in, in doing a more comprehensive fundraising campaign. So yeah, I would say, we, you know, we have, we have different organizations that could be doing more for this. We have, um, uh, oh yeah, like assessment district, which if people were not uh, aware of what the special assessment district is, I sat on that board for a little bit. It's yeah. a it's a, a properties that are kind of located on Broadway and around Broadway. And they all probably a marginally higher tax rate. Uh, and that goes into yeah. a pool to pay for things like Christmas decorations that you see lining the street or holiday decorations. Um, um, or in, in, you, know, you have our city council and you have the chamber and it just seems like this, and you have a, a DBA and it seems like these organizations could get together and just figure it out because it is just, okay. it was just so, it, it, something I loved it, growing up here in Saratoga is going to, to I know. the park and seeing the fireworks. 
uh, it brings in a ton of people and it's just oh, no. part of something that makes Saratoga special that it just seems flat without it. But yeah, I personally think the city should foot the bill. And I thought that going into office, but then of course we had the pandemic, you know, we had financial crisis, et cetera, et cetera. It's about 20 grand to do fireworks. Um, but again, it just seems so, I mean, isn't Saratoga Springs like an all American city? It just seems strange to not have anything. And, and on Monday for on the fourth, downtown was like desolate i mean it was there's nobody here it was like eerie you know participatory budgeting that's <clears throat> your proposal right <laughs> i'm sure that would go over well <laughs> well anyway we have lots to discuss this week um <clears throat> sorry clearing my throat over here um i went to the city council meeting or i didn't go i listened at home and so we have some stuff to discuss from the city council meeting but before we do that um two things one Right now, and I know this isn't like local necessarily, but right now, uh, President Biden just signed, just signed an executive order about reproductive rights, protecting reproductive rights. Um, I don't know what that means yet. I, I think it's like literally happening now, but that's uh, exciting, an exciting development for people who have been concerned about the Supreme Court decision. And I'm curious to see what that means uh, for the country and for, and for women. So keep an eye on that. And then back to local, um, <clears throat> this morning, I saw a uh, press release from, it's a press release from the People's Voice, which is basically the media arm of Saratoga Black Lives Matter. And it's pertaining the, it says it's a public comment for the Saratoga City Council. Um, <clears throat> they were not at the city council meeting this last Tuesday. So it's not a public comment they made there or have made to date. Presumably um, they will make it at the next city council meeting, but it's a little long, but I just wanted to read it to you guys and then have a quick discussion um, about the content. So uh, it says, we have been covering the social justice movement from the lens of grassroots organizations and the people on the ground. The new Saratoga administration claims to be more transparent than the last administration. This new administration has made promises that they will participate in, fund, and stand behind initiatives geared towards the betterment of people in Saratoga Springs. In order to be truthful to our mission statement, which is always to strive to be the voice of the people, we feel it's necessary to connect with and learn more about this administration. We aim to do this by offering this administration opportunities to speak to our media outlet. It's very important that these campaign promises and initiatives that this city council is undertaking be made transparent to the people. Speaking to grassroots independent media outlets like ours is a crucial step to show this council's full transparency. Media has been such a divisive part of the relationship between the people and the former administration. Let's today mark the moment where we strive to move forward. We have a close and positive connection with this group on behalf of this organization. Oh, this is the this part is from Saratoga BLM on the on the press release. We have a close and positive connection with this group on behalf of this organization and with the experience of our own media coverage as testament. We request that this council honor a request made by that group. The request is that the council select a member of Saratoga BLM, Lexis Figueroa, to be appointed to the Saratoga Civilian Police Review Board specifically Alexis, because he resides in the city and fits the criteria. Their community work is a testament to Saratoga's BLM commitment to public safety. Saratoga BLM was an integral part of the Saratoga Police Reform Task Force throughout this entire process. Many respected community members would back this council's decision to appoint Alexis Figueroa to the CPRB. The components of an effective CPRB are known to the Capital District, Albany, but having its own unique style of government has an effective CPRB with the power to do its job effectively and some of its members are in the grassroots activism community. This this cement the need this cements the need to have members of groups like Saratoga BLM participate in the CPRB process 
We believe the people of Saratoga would see this appointment as a step forward for Saratoga Springs. So that concludes their, their press release. Um, I have lots of thoughts on it, but I wanted to see what you guys thought first. What, what, you know, one of the things that jumps out at me in that release is, is and there's a lot to talk about here, but <clears throat> the fact that they are saying media is divisive. Uh, and blaming media for the divisiveness of the last uh, of city council because uh, I went to a lot of council meetings. Robin, you were at all of them for the last uh, or, or the majority of the commissioner, and the divisiveness that that they the would bring to these meetings and and the the how they would conduct themselves and yell over people and 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 you know yell really personal things at, at commissioners and in our mayor. Um, it just this is the divisiveness that 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 they're that they're uh, referring to is it, brought by them. This is what they wait, I think. What, wait, I don't need to interrupt you, Adam, at all. I think what they're referring to is uh, some of the city council members' refusal to talk to the media about what they're doing at City Hall. I think that's what they're talking about. Um, and and there were like the mayor, for example, uh, would not engage with certain media outlets, she would not return calls or give comments. That was her. That was her approach towards some media outlets. I, I, I'm guessing that's what they're talking about. So I didn't mean to interrupt you, but. Um, well, I, regard regardless, the the divisiveness is is one of the reasons I don't think this. I think this is a horrible idea. Uh, is that th this group? That's what they do. They seek to divide, and and they do so in very aggressive ways. And it's just it's it's cooled down with this new administration. But um, I, I just for that, that's one thought I have among many. Dan, how about you? Well, first of all, let me note and correct me if I'm wrong. For the most part, the first six months of this year, i.e. the first six months of this new uh, city council, uh, BLM has been uh, extremely quiet, if not hasn't said anything in Saratoga about Saratoga issues. Am I more correct than not? Um, they they were at the they were at city council meetings um, in like January, February, uh, and then in March it kind of dwindled off. They have not been to the last at least four or five meetings. But, but, but they've, they, not been they've not been. They, they, no, they were pretty vocal. There was a little period in there. There was at okay. least two or three meetings where they were quite vocal. One I was at um, where they were the whole group was there. So th there have been moments where they've been very vocal, but it, ha it hasn't been consistent. And so carry on. Oh, okay. There was so, one where they called they called the police subhuman. I remember that. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that was the one I had to had to. Yeah. Give her thoughts that this is not is, like. It feels like a little bit of grandstanding. Why wouldn't they go to the city councils directly, get the meetings with the mayor and those that are appointing it, and and re make the request? Why does this done through a press release? That just seems uh, again. Uh, if you want to get something done, then talk directly to the people that have the power to make that happen. This is quite the circuitous route that uh, doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Maybe I'm missing something. Well, my take on it is, is twofold. One, I think there's actually a lot to be said for what they were talking about in the beginning of that press release, which is holding people accountable for the promises they've made while campaigning. I think that's a really legitimate point. And um, I think it couldn't be more obvious that the Democrats who are currently on the city council really used Saratoga BLM and uh, politically while they were campaigning. And, and Saratoga BLM has really used them. It's kind of been you know, a tit for tat. They, they continue to use each other for, for political purposes and for, um, uh, to get to, um, you know, to meet their own goals. But I, I think they've kind of become aware of that, that these are not necessarily authentic promises 
that are being made to them by politicians that oftentimes they're being used uh, for, for people's political purposes and they're not gonna necessarily carry out what they promised um, when they're in office. And there have been a lot of things that have happened in the public safety department that you would think that Saratoga BLM would have had an issue with. For example, when Commissioner Montanino hired an active duty police officer, a white man to be his deputy, I thought, my gosh, you know, Saratoga BLM, this is something that they would really be upset about. They didn't say boo about it. Um, this last MOA that was on the last city council meeting that, you know, dramatically increases the funding and payment and compensation to the, to the, to the police department. That is something that is uh, contradictory to what Saratoga BLM wants, which is a full defunding of the police. Um, but we haven't heard anything about it. Now, also, you the applications to be on the Civilian Review Board have been available to the public for at least two months, I want to say. I mean, several, for quite some time. And so um, I know as of about two or three weeks ago, they'd only received about seven applications to be on the Civilian Review Board. Um, Lexis was not one of those applications. So I'm not sure why he wouldn't just go through the normal application process um, and then, you know, go and make a public comment or have people speak on his behalf. Um, at the council. Um, but, sorry, I'm getting a phone call. Uh, all that being said, uh, Commissioner Golub, who is our public works commissioner, um, was the head of the police collaborative, the executive order 203 that is referred to in this uh, press release. Saratoga BLM did, was not represented on the police collaborative. Um, they came and made some public comments. Their public comments were quite disruptive. Um, they had moments where there was a, a real exasperation and frustration expressed from the collaborative to Saratoga BLM, but they, they weren't uh, sitting members of that collaborative. So I'm not sure why they're taking credit for having so much to do with what that collaborative produced. That doesn't um, necessarily ring true to me. But the number one takeaway from the collaboratives, but then also what Commissioner Golub, who is tasked with um, researching and putting together a proposal for the CRB, one of his main points when he looked at CRBs across the country and analyzed why they succeed or why they fail, the number one thing of what not to do was you do not put political activists on a civilian review board. That is a recipe for failure. And, and in this case, we're talking about an activist who has labeled the entire police department murderers um, and has called them murderers for the last you know, two years um, quite loudly. He has made some heinous accusations against them um, that have are completely unfounded. And I don't know why someone coming in with that mentality would make for an impartial or productive member of a civilian review board. Um, to me, that is, uh, that's a, that, you know, that would be like on the opposite side, that would be like taking um, a police officer who was incredibly racist, aggressive, had a, a long disciplinary record, um, had you know been overtly racist and, and targeting people of color and, and, and putting that person onto the civilian review board thinking they would be somehow impartial. I mean, I just think, I just think, again, take away, and it was from Commissioner Golub himself, political activism on a civilian review board recipe for failure. So I'm really interested to see how this plays out because um, I, I I can see the, I'm not sure if the rest of the is going to agree with that statement. And this is gonna be a real kind of uh, interesting moment to see how the council responds to this. Can, can I ask you, Robin, you said there were seven yeah. applications. Do we know 
from the big picture, how far along they are? Do they have uh, set dates that they plan on having this done by? Where, where are? Where is this? I've, I've lost so, a little bit. Yeah, I think we're a whole lot of nowhere. Um, I do. The other thing I heard, and again, um, I would like I, Commissioner Montanino has not officially confirmed this. But the other thing I had heard was that of the seven people who had applied for the Civilian Review Board, um, about half were former police officers. And so there hasn't been any action taken. They haven't moved forward. My guess is that Commissioner Montanino is unhappy with the lack of applications they've gotten um, and probably having a CRB that is um, the majority of which is former law enforcement is not what he had in mind when he put this together. So. I don't think they're any further down the road. Um, I also know it's such an involved and complicated process to set up a civilian review board and get it going. I, I don't expect it to be in action anytime soon. I think it, I think it's, it takes a while, but um, I, I don't. I just can't see any universe in which putting Lexis on that board would do anything for the credibility of the group um, as they're kind of introducing themselves to this process into the city. Right, Robin. I think, Robin. I think you, you, you know we've talked about this before, but the point is, is that for this CRB to be successful, you need buy-in from both sides, right? You need mm -hmm. buy-in from the people. You need buy-in from the from law enforcement. Please, Carmen. Yep. And, and, and to do that, you can't you can't you know staff it with the extremes because you're going to lose the buy-in from one group or the other, and it's just going to turn into you know politics as usual, shouting over each other, uh, and and not really causing meaningful change. I mean, and I know. You know, you know, for for a long time, our police force was was uh, viewed as as killers, as killing Daryl Mount, and and you know that's been disproven. So so this idea that our police force is so bad that we need you know radical change and radical people there to police the police is yeah. is is just not true, and it's not helpful, and it's not what the city needs. So and, and I'm sorry you touched on this. I think the three of us agree because we talked about it. There should be. Uh, it should be a very diverse board, though. Yes. We're, we're all agree on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, yeah, I, 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 I knew I, you agreed with that, but I just wanted I, it's worth stating again. I do think it's really important to have people on the CRB who are not white and have had experiences in which they have, you know, felt uncomfortable, concerned for their own safety because of the color of their skin while, you know, dealing with law enforcement. I think that's a crucial perspective to have. On, on a CRB, but um, you know, coming into it as the leader of a political activism group that has an anti-police agenda is, yes. I don't know how, some, and I also don't know how someone, if they were filing a complaint and it was assigned to Lexus, I don't, I don't necessarily know that people would, you know, feel comfortable taking their concern to him and having, I mean, it just, to me, this is again, not a recipe for success. And I think that Saratoga BLM of all the groups should be the most invested in the success of the Civilian Review Board. Yeah, that's a good you point. Know, and one, thing, one thing I'll say, and, and, and you know, we come on here most of the time very pro Saratoga police, but you know, Saratoga police have done some things that I, that I think warranted more of more questioning. Uh, there was an incident where they filed a protest, you know, regardless of how I felt about the protests and, and blocking the streets, um, they followed a protester home and they stopped her in her her driveway. Well, that, and that, that was that was exhaustively reviewed. But yes, continue. It, it, but the, the you know it, I guess it was, but it was exhaustively reviewed by who, right? So that's why you have a civilian review right. board because it, right. it wasn't reviewed by a an impartial group. And I think right. I think if, if and this is why you need this is why you need buy-in because if that was 
justified and, and, and not just legal, but justified, right? I think there's a difference. Yeah. Um, then, then it should be vetted. And I think that's that's what led to this whole Daryl Mountain problem was that it, it just initially uh, there were some bumps in the road that, that cast doubt on what happened there. And so this is why we need a civilian review board and a civilian review board would be would be an, an asset to both the people and the police if it's done in the right way. And I think we all agree that Lex, uh, putting somebody with with his track record and, and what he's done and said, it would just be, uh, it would it would politicize the whole group and, and, and not, not and push agendas, not not what's right. And, so. and, and from the, and you guys both touched on it from the perspective of the police officer, uh, it's gotta be a fair process. And like you yeah. said, Robin, you, you know, keep in mind, and you touched on this, Robin, that initially it comes into one civilian review board member, not the yeah. whole board. And well, so well, if that is him and you're the police officer, you're going to say, I'm cooked. He's said so many times how much he thinks of the police department. I'm cooked. And yeah. that should not be the case. Although I, I think the way they have it set up is that someone would uh, indicate that they wanted something reviewed by the CRB. Then the folks on the CRB would take it and then assign it out to one of the members. I think that's how it would work. But um, in either case, I, I will say, so as the commissioner of public safety, I was the civilian oversight for the police department. And I probably got half a dozen complaints in my two years. Um, none of them actually had anything to do with race, but they were all really sensitive situations in which I could understand the person's hesitance or anxiety about going to the police with this concern. And my issue was there was no standard process for how the complaint should be responded to, and there was no workflow for it. So there was no time frame in which you could say, okay, you know, you'll hear back. Uh, in this time frame, this is how it's going to happen. It was just kind of left, it's left up to the commissioner, really. And that I had a problem with. And so in the interim, while this CRB was happening, because we also uh, proposed one um, uh, back uh, last fall, um, we had a professional standards um, uh, position um, established. And the professional standards lieutenant um, did all the things I was just talking about, put a workflow in place, um, a timeline in place and, and pr a process in place such that people understood um, how their complaint would be um, received. And there was also just, you know, little things, but significant things. Like if you needed to go meet with a professional standards lieutenant, we had a separate entrance in the back of the police department so someone could come in and not have to see any law enforcement, not have to walk through the police department, because that's all really intimidating if you're in a position of having an issue with the police that you are concerned about and trying to address. Walking through that department is not a great, you know, it's just, it's just fundamentally intimidating. But where I'm getting is that this lieutenant, unfortunately, was essentially forced out by Commissioner Montanino. So the lieutenant we had in the professional standards um, role is gone now because of uh, essentially Commissioner Montanino's actions uh, towards her. So that's um, that's really too bad because this is going to take a while to set up, and, and there should be someone in that in that professional standards division. Anyway. It's it's come. I, I know it's it's vacant, but is was somebody else assigned the duties? Um, not not that I'm aware of. No. Okay. Well, mm. that's, that's a big department yeah. not to have somebody in that role. Uh, I agree, but you know, well, this actually brings us right perfectly into our next topic, which is um, at the last city council meeting, and we talked about this on one of our last podcasts. The Police Benevolence Association had been in discussions with Commissioner Montanino in response to his uh, desire to change their shifts from 12 hour shifts back to 10 back to 10 hour shifts. And they had come up with a memorandum of agreement 
that they presented to the city council at the last council meeting um, that gave the police uh, police department a significant uh, increase in their compensation from base salaries to longevity to um, overtime pay, et cetera, et cetera. And at the time it was pretty shocking because if you just read the MOA, as Dan, as you said, like they, the, it was a huge win for the PBA in that it was, um, it, it, it really dramatically increased their compensation in pretty much every possible area. And so I know in the last podcast, I had some concerns about it. I think we all expressed some concerns about it, although we all agreed that we wanted our police officers to be compensated appropriately and we don't feel they're being compensated appropriately right now. Well, on Tuesday, the PBA, um, specifically Sergeant Angela McGovern and uh, Sergeant Danny Mullen, who are the president and vice president, um, Sergeant Mullen is president, uh, Sergeant McGovern is the vice president of the PBA, made a presentation to the city council. And, they, and walking through the history of how they've been compensated, how it compares to other municipalities and what their needs were, where their staffing level was. And it was just, it was actually an exceptional presentation. Um, Sergeant McGovern delivered it to the council. She is a really talented public speaker. She is articulate. She is well-spoken. She is calm, cool, collected. She handles the questions incredibly adeptly. And so she did a tremendous job. Once she walked through it and kind of explained all the reasons and the whys behind how they arrived at this agreement, I was totally on board with it, completely on board with it. Um, what she led off with, though, there was a few things that I was like, wait, what? She led off it by saying, Commissioner Montanino just sent an email out to the police department in February telling them they were going to 10-hour shifts with no explanation, no, it was just like, this is happening, it's happening now, like, that's it which obviously immediately triggered a grievance from the PBA because that's a contractual issue, um, which Commissioner Montanino should know as an attorney that there's a contractual issue with the PBA. You can't just send out a random email and expect it to happen. But it's also, you're talking about schedules, people's lives, and a tremendous amount of work to rework the the, the staffing. And so I just thought that was a kind of like a ludicrous way to, to begin these conversations and, and not a way to tee yourself up for success as the commissioner. But again, she walked through all the ways in which they arrived at these various um, um, increases in compensation, and they really all made sense. Like she talked about Traverse Day, for example, which was one of the things that um, we were. I was kind of chuckling about because they added Juneteenth and Traverse Day as holidays, right? And which seemed kind of funny to me because Juneteenth is a federal holiday, but Traverse Day certainly is not a federal holiday. Well, they had actually asked for. Um, Juneteenth had been already passed by the city council as a federal holiday. All the other unions were taking it as a federal holiday, so they just wanted that as well. They'd also asked for like Thanksgiving and, and Christmas and some other holidays to be included. Um, where they ended up reaching a compromise was just doing Travers and Juneteenth. On Travers, they need 30 officers on Travers Day, right, to handle the Travers craziness, which starts at about 5 a.m. We only have 42 patrol officers. And so when you need 30 to work Traverse Day, it does make sense to kind of incentivize officers to come in and work when you need the vast majority of your officers to come in. Um, but they also cover the fact that they are down right now 20 officers. We are down 20, two zero officers right now. That is stunning to me. You, you, you can't make that up through the academy. I, I mean, I guess you can theoretically. I just don't know in actuality 
how, how you could do that with the limitations of civil service lists, academy capacity, things like that. You have well, to what they what they what they reference, Dan, is they are they are trying to do uh, lateral transfers. Yeah, but, yes, but exactly. The, but, yeah. but they're not getting they're not getting yeah. they're not getting applicants or qualified um, applicants because of the and this is what the PBA said, right? So there's going to be an inherent bias there, but they're not getting it because of the the, the benefits of working for the SSPD. No, so listen, I can tell you, I started the I, I changed. I worked with PBA to, to accept lateral transfers when I was in office. It is not the solution that I, I think it's being overemphasized as a solution here, because first of all, our hiring standards are incredibly specific and, and much higher than other law enforcement agencies. And so when someone's transferring over here, nine times out of 10, they're gonna have to take a reduction in pay and a reduction in rank because um, they their, their qualifications don't marry up um, to what we need in our police department, what we require. Um, the police department had said that because we got so few applications, um, they're only the one and only thought that was discussed at one point to increase um, the number of applicants uh, that we could get through lateral transfers was to drop basically the college requirement, which no one in the police department wanted to do. No one thought that was a good idea. I don't think that's a good idea. I don't think the police department thought that was a good idea, but save for that, if some, because the other thing you have to think about is if someone's really unhappy and they're and where in the agency that they're working in, or the department that they're working in doesn't want them for whatever reason, so they're looking to go someplace else, that's not always a great reflection of their performance as a police officer, you know, and you don't necessarily want to get the folks that are just not doing well in other places, like, and so again keeps being offered as a solution and a way to kind of fill this void, I don't think it's going to bear out. And Commissioner Matisse made a public comment on Tuesday to that effect as well. Um, so anyhow. But you know, but I, after, after watching that presentation, and, and, and you're right, Robin, the, the sergeant, she made some, it was very well thought out and, and, and explained and presented. My issue though, is that of course, you know, you know it's, Liar figures lie and liars figure, uh, and not to say that there were lies in there, but I would like to see some kind of unbiased analysis of how what this is really going to cost the city because, you know, it's it's these we've talked about these professional unions can have huge costs. So you know they they reference the the base pay of the officers, but nothing about benefits, retirement age, uh, benefits after retirements, and so I as as as, as a taxpayer in Saratoga would either like to see our finance department or bring in an independent um, organization, an independent auditor to go through and say, all right, what's the, what is really going to be the cost of this to the city? Because this, this, you know, you know, hiring, hiring the, 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 the these professional union employees uh, it's, it is, there's a lot of costs that aren't just, you know, the base salary or, you know, the overtime, well, it's the cost I, of, 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 you know, all the benefits associated with, and that's what scares me is that we didn't really see those costs in the, in the presentation by the PBA. I think the finance department is totally capable of doing that. I think one of the unfortunate things about the, the, the timing of this was that they made this presentation at the council meeting on Tuesday when Commissioner Songvi was on vacation. So our commissioner of finance wasn't there um, at the meeting um, to you know presumably run through some of the concerns or questions the finance department would have. But I'm assuming when she gets back, she will have a response and be able to quantify some of those numbers. Um, but but by and large, the takeaway was we have not increased the compensation for our officers in such a long period of time that some of these increases might seem big, but it's really just making up for the fact that these numbers haven't changed for the last 10 years. 
And so, and so again, I, I mean, I was really sold on it and, 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 and I hope it, I hope it happens, but um, what is it going to fix our short-term issues? Nope. Is it going to necessarily get 20 great new police officers here? Nope. But it's a start. It's something. Um, so I, I don't know. How do, how do you feel about it, Dan? Um, as a quick aside at the uh, Congress Park Carousel event uh, two weeks ago, I, I did uh, step aside with Jim Montanino, introduce myself, acknowledge that, uh, uh, I said, you know, I've been pretty critical of you. My, my co-hosts have been. Uh, we, you know, I'd love to have a cup of coffee with you. He, he was uh, congenial. He was pleasant. We agreed to try to touch base just as a side view. But I, on that generally, I'm more optimistic than you on the lateral transfers because sometimes lateral transfers are done for the right reasons. You're in a small department. There's no upward mobility. You, you just got nowhere to go. Whereas a bigger department like Saratoga Springs, you've got a, a, the investigator division. you got this division. There's no, but there's not, though, Dan. There's like no... So half of our investigators apparently are going to have to go do patrol now. I, I get that, but at least conceivably, at least on paper, when what divisions do we have? When the ship is righted, there will be opportunity here versus Mechanicville Police Department, which I don't know has 10, 12. No, we're not putting them down, but they're much smaller. There's much less opportunity there. Right. And and a, a person with uh, uh, high hopes would say, I want to go to the bigger department. That's why they go to the state police in many instances. Uh, so we I, just there, don't there have those divisions to make though. The transfer. I'm sorry. I, we just don't have any specialized divisions, though. Like, that's, it's been one of our, it was, again, one of the things I had hoped to do in office, obviously, that was derailed, but there, we don't offer the specialized divisions such that you're really just doing the same thing day in and day in out, which is patrolling downtown, dealing with the same old shit in Saratoga, and waiting to hopefully have an opportunity to maybe, you know, get a promotion. But the nature of your work, you can't go in any specialized direction. I mean, we had an officer leave for Arizona who was like super passionate about DWIs and she wanted to do continuing education and get some specialized um, designations uh, in DWIs. And, but we didn't, we couldn't, we couldn't offer her that opportunity, you know? Um, departments of that size though, generally can, when the ship is righted, the ship right, is not right. righted. I don't know if it ever will be. That's, that's right. the side issue, right? We got to take care of compensation. We got to take care right. of management. As you pointed out a number of times, Jim Montanino in his short six months has made some horrible decisions that have yeah. affected the morale and, and the attrition rate of the department. That He needs to get that right. There's no doubt about it. So at least conceivably, you can see where Saratoga Police Department with 60-some members uh, could be a good department to go to versus a smaller department, which still may be a good department. I'm not putting down the mechanicals of the world, but let's face it, they do have limited opportunity for both promotion and specialization. I have to say one thing, which is just there's a lot of mention of bringing raising the compensation such that our police officers could live could afford to live in Saratoga Springs, and and didn't have to live elsewhere. And I just wanted to point out one thing was that a lot of the police officers that I sp spoke to and and talked about specifically with that issue, they don't always love living in the place that they also police, especially when it's such a small town, because everywhere you go, whether you have your uniform on or not you're known as the police officer. And, and there's something to be said for separating your work life and your home life and your family life. So um, I know that in the past, it's been hard for me to, to live and work in the same small community with all the same people. And, and I'm not out there arresting people and you know holding them accountable for their crimes, doing anything even remotely that controversial. So 
I, I just think that's kind of a, something to point out that yeah. you don't always want to. Would you agree, Dan, necessarily? Yeah, the, the common phrase was, I don't SHIT where I eat. They don't want to yes. where they where they police. In some cases, they do. In some cases, they do. Back to the, um, the proposal to attract people with the, the increased compensation. You know, they sold me. But Dandy Federigius is a former union official for police officers. Of course <laughs> they sold me. Adam, to your yeah. point, they need hard numbers from finance. They need, to, uh, again, to cost all this out, to see the costs and benefits. And even if, if there's a net cost, that may be fine because there's intangible benefits that go beyond the numbers. But so far, they haven't done that. In all fairness, it's only been around for a few weeks. Uh, there was no way it was going to get get uh, voted on uh, uh, you know, last month or this month, and nor should it be. This is, uh, Robert, I think you mentioned something about fall. That makes sense. To do this correctly, they need to run these numbers. And so, some, of it, some of this is, is supposition, right? We're going to increase the salary. Therefore, more cops will, will want to transfer here. Well, I, I believe that. But I, I still need to see that in some sort of hard analysis. And I think everyone else needs to see that in some sort of hard analysis that hasn't even been uh, close to scratching the surface. Yeah. One, one gripe they had, and, and this is this I could understand, and, and, and Robin, you could probably uh, appreciate this, is that the, the, the police and, and is essentially this is their career. This is their livelihood. And theoretically, every two years, they see a new a new public safety commissioner. And not only that, yeah. when you have public safety commissioners come in and start changing the rules, like you know, Jim went from the the the, the twelve hour shift to the ten, and he said, I, I guess I think he referenced some report that said it helps fight off fatigue. But but the idea is that they plan their whole the future, their lives, their childcare, their you know, their around this this twelve hour shift schedule, and just every two years have that in flux. Uh, I think. I think it, it, it's it's not a great thing, and so I don't know. You know, you know, we do have the commission form of government. The public safety commissioner, it is in the charter. They can come and make certain changes, but but it's got to be. We have to give them some kind of stability so that they can they can you know know have a two five you know year plan about what their lives are going to look like, and and not be like, hey, you know, I can't plan childcare for next year because there's an election coming up. So well, so I, so, but that's the point of having a contract, right? Like we had a signed contract with the PBA that was, you know, through whatever it was, 2025. So in theory, that they shouldn't that was be there. having to, that, that was in place. But what you're saying is absolutely correct though, Adam. I was so acutely aware of how hard it would be to have your boss change potentially every two years, have to figure out who this new person is, how they operate, how they're going to respond. Are they going to respect your authority, expertise, knowledge? How are they going to work with you? I came into office after Commissioner Martin had been there, who had essentially really been incredibly disrespectful towards the um, people, the men and women in the public safety department, had dismissed their abilities, had, had, had really uh, disempowered them, and really screwed with that department in ways that were like, shitty um and so you know i took we, a much we different spell that word out on this broadcast <laughs> sorry yes we're, we're really silly um so so i agree and i just feel like it's incumbent on the person who's been elected to be like a decent human being and recognize that and and try to respect that and not make it so challenging um for these folks to have so much turnover but but it, it speaks to the commission form of government these two-year terms are crazy I, I think we should have four-year terms. Um, right. it, it's it's just like not so. You can't get anything done. You figure you figure everything out finally, and then you decide what you want to do, and then it's time to get reelected, and you have to go back to campaigning. It's it's bonkers. 
I, uh, I, if I could just quickly say, I do agree with you too that the presentation was excellent, especially the point of showing that the police officers are different to the point of, well, the other unions don't want the same thing. Well, the other unions don't work oh, midnight shifts. The other, other totally. unions don't work holidays. They're, you know, totally. the other unions don't have the attrition problems. That the, a third of their officers are gone. The, the, totally. other, the other departments don't have that. They, she did a, they did a really good job. I, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Um, well, in the meantime, uh, Gaffney's has reopened, guys. I don't know if you know that. Gaffney's reopened over the weekend. Um, it was pretty quiet. I, I, I do know they can't have, uh, they, they're not supposed to have a DJ. They're not supposed to have any live music. I, I don't know how they kind of attract people in there. If people can't come in and dance and listen to music, I, I would hate to ever see any business fail. I hope they're able to work within the parameters of what the SLA has given them, um, to, to be open and, and, and still have some measure of success. But, um, I didn't notice really any difference this weekend at all. Um, in terms of the downtown crowd. I will say though, that when the Dead & Company show was canceled, which was such a bummer, I know for so many people, Dead & Company is obviously hugely popular. Um, I am uh, someone who is, and I hope this isn't offensive people, I am silly and totally stereotype and live on Caroline Street. And I'm like, it's Dead & Company, all these dirty hippies are in town. And when the show was canceled, I was walking up to my office, which is right at the top of Caroline Street. And as I was walking up um, Upper Caroline, uh, there was like 150, 200 people in in the street outside of City Tavern where there was like a band playing in the window and it was like jammed. And I was like, holy S-H-I-T. And I'm holding all this stuff and I'm trying to noodle through this crowd. And I knocked into like at least three or four people. And every time I did, I was like, oh my God, I'm sorry. I'm so like, so sorry, so sorry. Cause you know, I feel like they're gonna like, you know, assault me because that's kind of like the climate that we're living in. Instead, they're like, don't worry about it, honey. It's all good, peace, love. Like they were so chill and happy. And like, and then and then I was out again getting, uh, I had a bunch of kids in my house, giving them drinks and DeAndre's at like 10.30. The whole crowd was gone. They'd all like gone home, gone to bed, whatever. And basically long story short, that demographic who comes for Dead & Company, I'm like, you guys get a two thumbs up, triple A plus rating from this neighbor. And you are welcome to come party downtown on Caroline Street any old time you want because um, maybe choosing to hit the weed a little more and hit the alcohol a little less, it creates a totally different <laughs> dynamic and one that is peaceful, happy, love, chill, and I am all about it. And so I withdraw any comment I've ever made about Dirty Hippies. Hippies, yeah. I love you. Dead Company fans, I love you. Yeah, to, get, to give a little context, I guess John Mayer, who was the, the, the lead singer of Dead & Company, his father fell ill suddenly. Um, yeah. So they were forced to cancel the show the day of. What really impressed me is I saw our local community really kind of, the business community, really stepping up to provide a, you know, a neat atmosphere and a neat entertainment for all these displaced uh, concert goers. I know, you know, the Barrel House over in Beekman did a post where they were, they were, you know, they were getting bands together. They were going to have live music throughout the night. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's why people like coming to Saratoga. And, and that's what, you know, makes Saratoga special is that, is that the, 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 the sense of community and fun and, and ability to adapt to, to the changing situation. So what was a, a loss for all these, all these concert goers was really, I think, a boom for our, our downtown, and 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 they did a great job. Um, they get catering to the to the masses who were who were expecting something else. So, you know, thumbs up to our business community for that. Agreed, agreed. And Dave Matthews is tonight, tomorrow. Am I making that up, or is that correct? Yeah, it's uh, yeah. tomorrow. I, I was I, like I, yesterday. I 
I haven't noticed downtown being crazy yet. I was just downtown an hour ago, and so far it's not picked up. But the the, the day's young. Wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> I got to tell you, yesterday I was driving to the Y on West Avenue for my kids' flag football thing. It was like bumper Boston Ave was literally bumper to bumper, crazy insane traffic. I was like, it must be Dave. It wasn't Dave. I don't know who was here last night. I think it was a country singer. Morgan Whalen, yeah. Who's who's who's? I would not think it would be as big of a concert it was, but those tickets yeah. were selling for yeah. a lot. That was a, that's oh a yeah. Show. I, who I was that? I have no idea that is. I was told a voice back. Yeah, I'm I'm so out of touch with these things, folks. I got to throw you a curve here. I, I don't have a dire situation, but I do have a situation here in my house. So I have to sign off here and let you two finish it up. No problem. Oh, shit. Shoot. Shoot. I'm also <laughs> late for a doctor's appointment. Okay. Let's have wrap up. Okay. Can we do a two-second cheer? Jeer? Should we, should we wrap yeah, it up? Yeah. I, I, I got time for that. I, I can do that. I'll do a okay, – uh, I'll jump in with a quick cheer. Uh, we are six days away from track season. I want to cheer all the workers, not just at the track, but this in this entire city that are essentially a support group for track season. Um, I, as you know, I, I am a, a, a fan of, of horse racing. I, a very small time owner. Um, I, I've learned to love Naira, believe it or not. I uh, once was not high on Naira. I'm good on them now. Um, so, so cheers to everybody. And I don't have a jeer this week. Are you up, Adam? Boy, uh, I don't know that I have either today. I just, it's, it's. You want me to go while you think about it? Yeah, why don't you go exactly? Go ahead. Oh yeah, you can throw the the graphic. I'll throw. throw Go ahead and I'll jump in. Okay, so I actually don't have a cheer this week. I only have a cheer, and my cheer is kind of cool. I have a five-year-old, a nine-year-old, an eleven-year-old, and a twelve-year-old, and they love playing wiffle ball and like kind of sports in general. There is this game called Jingle, which is J-I-N-G-L, which I don't know if you guys can see this, but it looks like that. And it's a game that it's like this hybrid of wiffle ball and some other stuff. And it's made by a local guy. I think the guy's in Gansver who makes this game, Jingle. And my kids, we ordered and love it. It's so fun. It's such a fun spin and take on kind of like a wiffle ball with some other elements. And and I can't remember the last time I, I got a game from someone locally. And I just, I just thought it was a cool thing in general. You can find it at Jingle the Game, which is J-I-L thegame.com and so if you have kids um you know teenagers or grown-ups whatever it's just a super fun game to play in the summer and um my kids have been really enjoying it and i it's, thought it was freaking cool that it was local so cheer it, to jingle it, the game it, it, it's at g Wilkers, right i can get it there uh, i i have i don't know if it's at g Wilkers, but um I bet it is i'm gonna check i bet it, yeah yeah it's it, it's super cool i'll throw the link in the i'll throw the link in the comments but okay, it, that's what it looks like if you can see that yeah okay. anyway all right, yeah, that's just, all I got. I'll, I'll just cheer everybody like myself who, 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 you know, moves out of town for August, rents their house out or for the racing season. It's, boy, it's a, it's a heck of a lot of work. It's a, uh, it's, but. Yourself, Adam Israel? What's that? I'm cheering myself and everybody like me right now who's got kids and who's got get houses ready and who's got to figure out what they're doing with their kids when they get the houses ready and keep the kids out of the houses after the houses are clean. Um, my heart bleeds for you so you can make thousands of dollars. Oh, my God. <laughs> <home. Yeah. Adam. laughs> I'm teasing you. I'm teasing. What a, what a great right. location you got for a rental. Yeah. How perfect. Well, yeah. We got Saratoga, the track. East side, baby. All right, All right. Guys. On that note, Dan, look at us go put out your fires. All right, we'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye, Sarah.